good morning. How you guys doing? Good to see you. I hope you guys all enjoyed sleeping in and uh, coming to second service. I'm happy that you're here, and I'm happy to be here. What a great place to be. Abundant Life Church is an incredible place. We've been following your story for a couple of years now, and I can say that it is awesome what God is doing here. Great group of people that the Lord is blessing this church. It is true that there's life in this house, and we can see it. And you guys have wonderful leaders, don't you? I can say that... The, uh, Gareth and Jenny are, you guys are good leaders, you're good pastors, and to be honest, you're really good friends. And so thank you for, for loving us well. Um, actually, Gareth is my therapist. He's the cheapest therapist I have. He's only a phone call away. And so I appreciate that, but he helps talk me off a ledge all the time. And uh, I appreciate your friendship. Both of you, both of you guys are wonderful friends to myself and Rachel. And thank you for loving us well. Thank you for sharing them with us, by the way, whether you know it or not, you guys have an impact through them all over, not just here, but all over actually through, through all of Oregon and a lot of places in the earth. And so I just want to say thanks for sharing. You're good leaders. We love you and you're amazing. We, uh, my wife, Rachel and I pastor church, as he said, in Bend, Oregon, here's our kids. As you can see here, they are, here's all of them. Some of them, they're all here today. A couple of them are here in service, but, uh, we got five. It's a lot of them. We got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well done, Rachel. Well done, you. She, uh, she convinced me to try for four, and then we ended up getting pregnant with twins. And so that's... The only person I can blame now is the Lord. So I, I, and I love them all. They're perfect in every way. And we have incredible kids. I, uh, I love this place. In fact, I grew up, I was born and raised in Oregon. Oregon is my home state. How many of you guys born and raised here? Anyone? Come on. Yes, Oregon. I love Oregon. I've lived in, I was born in Eugene. In fact, I lived in Portland for several years while Rachel and I were going to Bible school. And then also we've lived in Bend for most of the time we've lived in Bend. And I can say that I love where I live. I love Oregon. I always have. I was raised uh, to believe that Oregon is the promised land. That's what I was raised to believe, and I just have always believed that. No, no one can take that away from me. In fact, what's interesting is that in, uh, how many of you guys recently have had good friends leave? Anyone? Like, I feel like in the last couple of years, I've had a lot of really good friends leave. Sure, there's some people that were like, they're okay to leave. They can, they can leave. Go ahead all you want. Uh, but you know what? It's, it always hurts when you have someone you love that leaves. It's hard to lose a friend. And in the last couple of years, we've all lost good friends wherever they've gone. It almost feels like it's a reverse of the Oregon Trail. You know, everybody came out west, and all of a sudden, they're like, no, no, it's better east. So then they all start heading east. Uh, but I can tell you, I love Oregon, and I don't plan on leaving. I'm happy here. I'm happy to raise my family here. This is a really, really good place. You know, 1840 to 1860, in this, this nation, great nation that we live in, over 400,000 people left the East Coast in search for what they knew as the promised land. They'd never seen it with their eyes. They'd never been there, but word had spread that over on the far side of this country, there was a beautiful little promised land called the Willamette Valley. And almost a half a million people left their homes, packed up everything, put it in a caravan, and they walked 2,000 miles to this place called the promised land. And when they showed up to them, it was their heart's desire, and it's a beautiful place. I have to remind myself, and I want to remind you, every morning you wake up in the promised land. You wake up in something that somebody dreamed about. We're living the dreams of those who came before us, and we never want to take that for granted. And sometimes I get it, people leave, our friends leave, people move in different states, move different countries, and for some of them it's great reason. 
But I have to remind myself that I still get to wake up in the promised land every single day. I'm not going anywhere. I've chose to live here. I've chose to raise my family here. I love my home. And to be honest, I'm digging in like a tick. (laughs) Nobody's removing me from my great state. I'm here and I'm here for life. So good, good luck with that. And you should too. I want to remind you that it's good, it's good for you to plant roots, to put your roots down, and to really grow and thrive wherever the Lord has planted you. Uh, also, meet I remind you that the sun still sets in the west. This is the best place in planet Earth to live. I'm so happy the Lord put me here. I'm so happy that I'm able to live here, raise my kids here. The Lord has a good plan for you here. You don't have to leave to find it. He's got a blessing right here for you. He's got a great place for you here on this riverbank to plant your life, build your family, and live and live well. He will supply for you. He will provide for you, and he will give you all that you need here in this place. You live in the promised land, and it's beautiful. Stay here. Stay here. I want to read you this scripture. It's good. Psalm, and I feel like it's a... Not only is it true of this area, but I think it's true for this house, for sure. Uh, Psalm chapter one, verse one says this, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand with the sinners or join with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. I want to remind you that as you plant your roots and as you sink them deep and as you hang on and hang on to his word and find yourself planted in a good house, you're going to find that, that you will not wither. Everything you do will prosper. How cool is that? The promise of the Lord. If you're maybe new here, maybe you've only been here a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't normally preach here. I'm not from here. I'm from Bend, but I love Oregon. And uh, the reality is, is that you found a good home. There are good leaders here, there are good people here, and there's life in this house. If you want life, stick around. Join a team, jump on, invest. Don't just sit on the sidelines, but actually get involved in the people around you, lives around you. Get involved in a group, join something, come, try and win the cornhole tournament. That's the best thing you can ever do, you know? That'll really, that'll really put you up there. It'll be awesome. Um, in this great planet that we live in, there are two remaining promised lands. The first one we know is in Oregon right? Yeah, we all know that to be true. And uh, the second one is Ireland. Come on. Yeah. Gareth knows this. It's not, this isn't biblical, by the way. That's just, uh, just a side note. But you would, I would debate that as well. Actually, yeah, I would as well. Uh, I've had the privilege of living in both promised lands. In fact, from 2013 to 2017, myself, Rachel, and our family lived in Ireland and our twins were born in Ireland. So if you're going to have kids in Ireland, remind yourself it could be twins. Just be careful with that. All right. Nobody warned me, Gareth. Nobody warned me. Uh, But I've had the privilege of living in both beautiful promised lands. Ireland is amazing. I don't know if you've ever been there. I would encourage you to go to Ireland. It's a beautiful place. The green of the grass there is green like I've never seen in my life. You fly in and you look at it and you're thinking, I've never seen this rich of green, this beauty of color. You know, over 60% of the nation is all agricultural farmland. And it is gorgeous with wheat and barley and oats. And there's grassland for sheep and for cattle. Like it is the promised land flowing with milk and honey. It is phenomenal. 
You need to know that just because you live in one promised land, but there is another one out there that you should probably visit. We lived there for four years and loved it. We actually lived, the last two years that we were there, we lived in a 105-acre farmland parcel, and we rented the house in the middle of it, and so we didn't have to farm it. We just got to live in this beautiful farmland. It was a gift from God for our family, absolute gift from God, and I, I loved it there. The, the thing is, after about two years of living in Ireland, you start to realize something. Where are all the mountains? There's plenty of rivers, plenty of water, but you're like, where are all the mountains? And you ask the locals, where are the mountains? And they're like, oh, those are the mountains over there. And you're like, those aren't mountains. Those are hills. We call those hills, buttes, but they're not mountains. No, they're called mountains. And so uh, we, and, uh, I remember we, we drove actually to the Wicklow Hills, but they're called the Wicklow Mountains. Beautiful section of, of, of land just south of Dublin. And we actually uh, connected with a buddy and I said, hey, let's hike. Like, I want to hike. I miss hiking. I miss the outdoors. I want to I wanna get outside and explore. Just knowing I used to wake up every morning to beautiful mountains. I want to go and explore them. And so I went with a friend of mine, Clifford. We actually ended up hiking this, one of the highest peaks in Ireland called Lugnaquilla. It's in the, the, the highest peak in the Wicklow Hills. And I remember when we hiked it, it was like, you get up on top of it, you can actually even see out into the ocean, out into the Irish Sea, and it's just beautiful. There's nothing like the nation of Ireland on a sunny day. When you can see clear for, for, for miles and miles and miles, there's something special. The Lord loves that land, although it feels like he's trying to drown it at times. He loves the land. <laughs> he definitely loves the land. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, are you going to drown us? Are you trying to kill us? What's happening here? And uh, as soon as I hiked one mountain and got up on top of it, something in my heart just was like, oh, I got to do this again. And my friend Clifford and I actually, we started asking the question, all right, well, what if we climbed the highest peaks in Ireland? And there's 13 highest peaks in Ireland. So we decided the next trip that we would do is we went down south to Ring of Kerry area and we hiked Mount Brandon. And then on our way back, we hiked the Galtimores. And they were beautiful. Somehow we found it on a sunny day. It didn't rain on us. And we were able to, we were able to hike both of them one day after the next, because when you're hiking a mountain, that's only 3000 feet. You can do that in a day. It's really easy. And, uh, and so I remember hiking both of them. And even in Mount Brandon, you can actually see the peninsulas on the south part of, of, of Ireland. You can see each and every individual peninsula. Like you can see for miles away. And so I started like, we've got to do this. And the, the best part about Ireland is that out of the 13 highest peaks, they called Firths, three of them are located in different areas, and seven of them are all in one mountain range. In fact, I have a picture of it here. It's called the McKillicuddy Reeks. And if you look at it, it's actually shaped like a giant horseshoe. And in one day, you can go up and you can hit seven of the highest peaks in Ireland in one single day and finish. And so, you know, Clifford and I, who had already finished three of them, we're going to click off the rest of them on our list. And uh, I remember we planned this trip. We waited for the right weather. We got everything laid out. We actually drove down, spent, spent the night before, and we were ready to go. And in the morning, what we decided, we woke up at daybreak and we decided, all right, let's do this. We're going we're gonna to hit ascend and then hit all of the seven peaks and then finish them all out. The highest peak in Ireland is actually in the very center right over there. And um, what is that one called? Anyone know it? I have it here. I know it. Come on, you guys, find it for me. Find it for me. I can't find it. Anyway, it's a really high peak in Ireland. And um, 
I forgot where the middle one is. In the middle, the very middle one is actually the highest one in Ireland. And so we said, hey, let's hit this. We're gonna hit all seven of them in a day. We woke up at daybreak and we started climbing. We actually ascended. The reason I have this on here is you can see the hill where we started. You ascended, the first ascent's about 3,000 feet and you get up to the first peak. First peak was beautiful. And in fact, as soon as you pop your head up over, you just feel this massive wind like hitting you. Everything is a little bit slippery and wet, even on a sunny day. And I remember as soon as we stuck our head over, it was like, oh my word, that was like a fierce wind. So we dropped back down to the side that was not windy. We hit the first peak and we said, this is great. We headed for the second peak, which was called the Big Gun. And in between the second and third peak, you have to hit this location that's called the Hill of the Serpent. In fact, I have a picture of it right here. This is between the second and the third peak, not this one, the very next one, is actually the the hill that you have to go across. And I remember even on a sunny day, you're looking at going, where's the trail? There's just something about it. When you're staring at it, you're like, I, I, I know it's there. When you look down in front of you, you can see the trail. But when you start to look up on either side, there's a thousand feet drop on either side, even on a sunny day. And it's like everything's slippery, everything's wet. And I remember Clifford and I, we had, we had already ascended our 3,000 feet. We're headed for the, the third highest peak and we're excited about this. But all of a sudden, I realize as I'm walking, like if I'm looking out here, I'm starting to freak out. Like everything looks like a sheer faced cliff. I'm like, how in the world are we going to get across this? Where in the world are we going to go? He was following me. I don't know why. He's the one who's Irish. He should be leading, but he was letting me lead. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm starting to look around and I realized, oh my word, this is scary. In that moment, I have, uh, I, I've, I've done a couple different things. In fact, I, I, I know what it feels like to start to go into shock. And so I was like, man, I'm going to start to freak myself out. So I reminded myself, I've got to get my eyes off the horizon and I got to look down to my feet. So I started looking at my feet and I could look maybe like 10 feet in front of me. To be honest, about 10 feet in front of me, I could see the path and I'd walk the 10 feet and I could see it again. And so I just kind of kept going and kept going. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, all right, my, heart, my heart's okay. I'm feeling all right. And I stop and I'm thinking, where did Clifford go? Where did this guy go? You know, so I waited for him. He never showed up. And, uh, and so I turned around and I actually started working my way back and I found him hiding in a rock crevice. <laughs> I don't know, probably like a quarter mile back. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, man? We're hiking. Like, and I, when I came into the little rock crevice, I looked at him and he had gone pale white. And I thought, oh no, you're going into shock. Like, this is not good. And so I try to like calm him down. You know, hey, you can do this. This is gonna be okay. We can push through. And of course he wants to push through, but you could tell like his heart rate's starting to go up. He's starting to go into panic. I said, listen, let me go see what the trail's like. You stay here, eat something and I'll come right back. So I got out and like the good friend I am, I went all the way up to the next peak just so I could see I did it without him. Because I knew we weren't going forward. And I came back and I told him, yeah, it's all the same, man. You're going to freak out. And I could see that. His heart was racing. And uh, he's like, there's no way I can do this. And I'm like, I know that I can get that. I've seen this look of panic before because I've actually been in it. A couple years previous, I was 400 feet up on a rock face with a friend of mine. And I started going into panic. And I turned white. And I remember him looking at me going, you just went white. You know, and I'm thinking, what do you mean? I am white. And uh, like, <laughs> no, you are not well. And I'm like, what? And I remember freaking out on that rock face. And although you're locked in, it's like you're trying to grab whatever you can because you're going into panic mode. I'm 400 feet up. And I remember, I don't know how he talked me out of it, but we ended up safely traversing all the way back down and got out of it. I remember when I hit the ground, I was like, oh my word, I feel amazing. And I knew what it was like in that moment to, to not have a friend say, hey, let's push, let's do it, right? I didn't need encouragement. I needed safety is what I needed. And, uh, and I remember looking at Clifford and I said, all right, buddy, we're not going forward. Like, don't worry about me. We can finish this another day. We can do it another time. And, and so I said, Let, let's go down. So we actually ended up going all the way back down 
And we took another route, went straight down. And the moment we hit the bottom, I'm thinking, what a good friend I am, you know? I didn't kill him. His wife's gonna be happy. And he turns around and he goes, let's go back up. I wanna try it again. And I thought to myself, no, I just came down 3,000 feet. I'm not going back up with you. We did it anyway. So we went to another part. We did go up and we actually hit the highest peak in Ireland and came back. But we only hit four. He hit three. I hit four. Let that be known. All right? Let that be known. I have one extra on him. And, uh, and we came back that day. I felt, to be honest, I felt defeated. But at the same time, I knew what it was like to be in that moment of absolute freak out. The life lesson in all of it for me is that it's interesting is that when you are hiking, whether you're in a high stress situation or it's life, the reality is that there's moments in our life in which when we look up and we look out at the future, it's scary. Like everything seems like a rock face and you don't know the way forward. And when you look up, you're thinking, man, I don't know what to do. And I thought I had made a good decision. And I thought this was all going to work out. And I thought it was all going to work together. But there are times and seasons in our life when we look too far out, it freaks us out and we can panic. We freak out. And when you look out there and you don't know what to do, what it does is it actually causes you to question where you're standing. And you start to freak out of like, maybe I'm going to slip and what's going to happen? What's going to go on? And in a moment of panic, whether you're hiking or you're riding a mountain bike or you're, or you're rock climbing or you're riding a horse, the reality is in a moment of panic, the only way to fix panic is to stop looking forward and to focus on what's happening right around you. And the moment that you can focus on what's happening around you, your heart rate can drop and you can start to realize like, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm okay, nothing's going to happen to me. I remember it just being a, an incredible life lesson of like, buddy, we can't, we can't do this. Like we, you can't look too far forward. You have to look this way. But there are also seasons in our life in which you ascend a hill and all of a sudden everything is hopeful. We have our good days and we have our bad days. And on our good days, we're like finishing school and getting ready to move to college. Maybe we knew to meet a new friendship, relationship, or you ask someone to marry you. I'm, I'm hopeful. And maybe you just found out that you're going to be a dad or you're going to be a mom. And like, there are moments in your life in which you look at the horizon and it's absolutely beautiful on a sunny day. But not every day is a beautiful, sunny, hopeful day. And not every day is a dark day. But what do you do when you hit those dark moments? What do you do when all of a sudden life is crazy and you're freaking out and you're starting to panic because you look at it and go, listen, it started as a great relationship, but I'm, ha I'm hitting a real rough patch with my spouse. Or maybe, maybe you jumped into the career of your dreams only to find out that you don't have the boss of your dreams. Maybe you jump into a brand new career thinking, this is it, this is what I'm called to do, this is gonna be amazing, only to see the homework pile up and the people around you not help you. And all of a sudden you find yourself six months in going, what am I doing? Why have I made this mistake? Maybe, maybe you're hitting all of your limits. Maybe it's like, I was so happy to be a dad. And then we had five of them. <laughs> I've been there, trust me. A moment of panic of like, God, why did you do this to me? And then God, thank you for doing this for me. It's amazing, but we have good days and we have bad days. Maybe your first day of retirement, you're just hopeful, everything's great, and six months in, you realize, man, my health is starting to fail and I really wanted to enjoy this season of my life. We have good days and we have dark days. What do you do when you hit that dark day, when all of a sudden, when looking out is just stressful and panicking, it causes you to almost freak out? What do you do when all of a sudden your field of vision just comes right here? When you can't see past tomorrow and you don't know what to do. It's a great scripture in the book of, or in Psalms, Psalms 119, 105. 
says this, and I love it because it actually gives us the answer and it gives us each season of life. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. It gives us the anchor in moments of actually every season of life. The anchor that we hold on to is truth. It's his word and it's his word that we have. In every season, no matter where you are, whether it's a good day or a bad day, there is an anchor that we hold on to called his word. Something about that. There's something about scripture. There's something about him speaking. There's something about God's voice that sustains us, that brings life to us, that holds us strong in all of the good and bad times. And then he paints two pictures. And what I love about this is he actually teaches us where to put our eyes depending on the season that we're in. The first one is he says, there's a lamp to guide my feet. You know, back when this was written, they didn't have like giant floodlights. They had a one lumen candle. Some of you guys have headlights that are like 500 lumens. They had one. And the picture that he's painting is that your, your word is actually a lamp to guide my feet. What he's saying is that I have a one lumen light and I can literally see the word in the Hebrew is heel to toe. And maybe, I don't know if you've ever been in a season of life like that. You cannot see past the moment you're in. You're like, God, what am I gonna do? What's tomorrow gonna look like? And how you're absolutely freaking out. And the beauty is he actually, yeah, he's actually communicating that in the moment of crisis, in a moment of darkness, in a moment of I have no clue what to do and I'm freaking out, he actually paints this picture that his word is a beautiful light to guide my feet, which means you're able to see your feet and your next step. What do we want to see? We want to see the whole path. I want to see the whole path, but I'm, I've been around long enough and not, not too long to know is that I don't, I'm not always afforded the right the ability to see the whole path in front of me. And when you get into those dark moments and you don't know what to do, he's actually bringing a comfort, a word of comfort that his word gives us just enough to know what's right in front of us. We actually have to change our gaze, change what we look at and focus right here. And then he says, and it's a light into my path. And on our nice days, the word light that he uses there is the same one for, for the universal stars, the sun and the moon. It's daylight. There are seasons in life in which you are in daylight and you can see the path in front of you. Those are the ones that we all hope for. It's the ones, we, it's the ones that when you're like, yeah, you're right, God, God is good and his word is good and everything's working out because I can see the path. I know what I'm doing. I know my next step and I can see everything clearly. But what do we do when we're not afforded the ability to see the path and the only thing that we get is an itty bitty next step? That's where we have to learn not to freak out, knowing that he's actually given us the same promise, the same thing that guides us on the path is the same thing that will guide us in our each and every next step. His word is the focal point. It's the firm foundation in absolutely everything. It, and I love this. His word, the firm foundation, brings light and life to each and every one of us. In fact, when we hold on to his words in the good times and in the dark times, we find that that word brings perspective, it brings stability, it brings peace, and it can actually bring the same amount of hope with a field of vision here as you can a field of vision here. Because what you learn to do is you learn not to trust the path, you learn to trust the one who built the path. And as much as we want to trust the path, and see the path in front of us, there are moments when we need to move our eyes off of that and simply just say, God, I trust you with whatever in the world's happening next. Whatever's going on, I'm just gonna trust you right here. Now, I've tried it before, maybe you have as well. We ask God like, hey, could you give me like a five-year plan? 
Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just, if we could just like put it in, he'd be like, here, here's the best plan, all options, you know? <laughs> here's the best plan for you. Like every time I've asked him for a five-year plan, I've got nothing. And part of the reason we get nothing is because you recognize the moment that I can see the plan, I would go, that's a great plan. God, can I offer all my alternatives? And we create all our alternatives. And God, maybe we could do it. Well, you know what? That looks awesome. But how about we move it over here? I'd love a detour here. Wouldn't it be great if we just stopped here to get everything we need before we got back to here? Like, we're not afforded that opportunity. In fact, even when I've asked for a two-year plan, it's like, hello, hello. And God doesn't promise you a five-year plan. He doesn't promise you a two-year plan. He promises you your next step. And what that means is that means instead of us trying to create the plan and change the plan and second guess everything, it puts us into a place of saying, God, I have to choose to trust you. Because when you only know what your next step is and you don't know the whole plan, you're required to say, okay, God, I'm gonna choose to follow you. I don't know where it's taken me. I don't know where it's gonna lead, but I do know this is that you have my best at heart. And it's actually a trust requirement. And when God only gives us the next step and we choose to lift our eyes up in the circumstances around us, we will freak out. Because you look at it and you go, man, this world I live in, the state I live in, the school I go to, the, the people I know, all my friends, I don't have a single good friend at all, except for Gareth. And all of, the, all of my life is falling apart, you know? Like everything's, everything's falling apart. The moment I look up, I start to freak out. But what God has given us is he's given us his word that is a light unto our path and it's just enough to hold on to. As a, as a, as a person, I find that I live, for me, what I, I can see around me is usually like a two to three month window. That's what I typically live at. That's what I would find is like, I can think enough ahead. I plan dinners and people and hangouts. Sure, you might put a vacation on for next year or something like this. But for the most part, we think two to three months ahead in advance. Every once in a while, I'll get my head up and I'll look at it and I'll think, I'll think two to three years forward. Well, hey, what if we did this and made this thing? And to, to make a decision that has a two and three year timeline forward is like, they call that growing up. I'm learning. I'm learning to grow up, and it's, it's, it's awesome. But I recognize is that I, I often live in the, in, the, in the view of two to three months, and every once in a while, I'll glimpse forward. But there has also been seasons in my life where the only thing I can see is literally the day. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know where it's gonna come from. And you're sitting here going, I have no clue what to do. But even in my short life that I've lived, I can tell you that he's just as faithful when your field of vision is here as he is it is here and he is when it's here. And sometimes all of a sudden our field of vision changes and we think that God hates us all of a sudden. But he never changed the path and he still gave you the light. And he doesn't give you the light based on how much he loves you. He just gives you the light. Now as a leader, this is interesting to me too, as a leader, um, as someone who leads in God's house and pastors God's house, I feel that for his church, not my family, but for his church, I'm able to see very clearly two to three years ahead. And there are days and there are seasons in which I can glimpse five to 10 years forward and see what God wants to build. That's a gift that God gives to leaders and pastors. That's why I would encourage every person, be a part of a church and follow. God gives wonderful gifts and he distributes them throughout his house. And one of the gifts he gives to leaders is called vision, to be able to see forward and see what God is doing. But it's interesting to me is for his house, I can see two to three years forward and glimpse five to 10. But for my own house, I can see two to three months and glimpse two to three. The takeaway for me is that I actually also need to be led. 
Because my home submits to his home. And when I find that I'm in his will, I'm on his path and I'm following his stuff, what happens is all of my stuff starts to come together so well. And I actually don't need to go ahead and plan everything for him. I often need to stop and say, God, what do you want to do next? When we see too far out in advance, we start to plan everything for God. But God actually wants to do something in and through you that's gonna require you to look out with hope and then to look back down and say, God, but what is my next step? And the reality is it doesn't matter if it's a beautiful day or if it's a dark day, the process is still the same. God, I trust you for the future but I'm asking you, what is my next step? There's something powerful about this book. I can't explain it. I can't explain it scientifically, but I can tell you the moment that you grab this and start reading it, the moment that he speaks to your heart, the moment that his words speak, he all of a sudden starts to create life and answer questions. And the moment you start to read and you start to digest and you start to hold it into your heart, all of a sudden you start to see a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. There's just something about this book. It's the way he created it. It's how he built it. It's how it's all supposed to come together. And I'm not trying to, like when I look at this, yes, I would love to be like, hey, here's how you always keep the lights on. But I know well enough the lights go off. And when the lights go off, you need a flashlight. Because some of you guys freak out. You absolutely freak out the moment that you can't see more than a day in advance or two weeks or a year in advance. You freak out. I have enough friends to know some of them love to plan, love to plan. And they have every contingency. They have everything worked out. And they know the moments the light goes off, they're like, perfect. Grab, grab box two, bring it in here. We got candles. We got this. They're going to set this thing up. Like everybody has these contingencies. And the reality is God's just trying to get our heart. He just wants your heart. He doesn't want all your contingencies and all your planning. I, some of you guys are really good planners, but I want to follow God instead. I do. And your family should probably follow God as well. And when I look at it, when we freak out, like one of my kids, I won't name who he is. He's just the oldest one. And um, he's looking at me like, how dare you say that? Not recently, in the last... 24 hours, but before that, uh, every once in a while, someone would get hurt when he was young. Someone would get hurt, and he would come running in screaming, and I like, oh, my word, oh, my word, oh, my word's hurt. You know, like, you're thinking, what's going on? And I remember, like, it would divert my attention. Like, what's happening? I'm, like, checking. Is your arm okay? Is your leg okay? You know, by the time he calms down, he's like, no, I was just trying to tell you someone outside's hurt. I'm like, what's going on? And the reality is, some of you are the same. The moment something happens in someone's life or someone's life around you, you freak out. So much so that we don't even know what the problem is. You're just freaking out. And we need to learn to actually be able to control ourselves in those moments and say, hey, 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 like, I'm not hurt. I'm trying to teach you something right now. You, you, hopefully you're with me, okay? I'm not hurt. Somebody else is. Now I'm going to go freak out by myself. Like, like, we need to know what are we going to do? Because not only do you need to have a plan, what are you going to do when someone around you, when your spouse or a friend or one of your kids goes from a moment of everything was good to everything is not good. We actually need to not just be able to control ourselves. We need to be able to help those around us. I remember in that moment with Clifford, I'm sitting here. The only reason that I was going to be a help to him was because I had been there before and someone was a help to me. 
It's because a good friend of mine coached me what to do when he looked at me and said, keep your eyes on me. Keep listening to my voice. You can do this. Grab one thing at a time. You're going to be fine. His voice walked me through all of what I needed to do to get out safely. And I was able to do the same thing for my friend where I walked and he had his hand on my shoulder. The only reason I knew what to do is because someone had first coached me. So not only do we need to know for ourselves how to react and act when life all of a sudden throws us a curveball and the lights go out and we're sitting here going, God, what do we do? We need to know for the people in our own lives what we should do and how we should help. Mom and dads, we struggle with this. And I, sometimes it's dad. We, dads get the bad rap and sometimes I would say it's moms too. But we feel this like, I have to lead. I have to know, like, if something changes, I got to have all the contingencies, and we create all these contingencies, and the moment chaos happens, the moment the lights go out, the moment something changes, the moment the kid loses, a, loses something they've been fighting for, something happens, we as parents very easily can jump right in and be like, all right, let me help you with all these plan B and C and D, and let's focus on this. Now let's move to this, and we can divert them enough with their attention that what we teach our kids to do is to follow us in hard times, and we forget that we're actually supposed to be modeling what it looks like to follow him. And there's a big difference because as a dad, I could step in and I could help my kids. Well, I'm sorry that didn't work out for you. Let me do, let's divert here. Let me coach you how to do this. And I can become their leader. But I don't want them to follow me. I want them to follow God. And so what I have to model and what I have to do is I actually have to coach them on what it looks like when the lights go out to say, stop. We're gonna seek the Lord. We're gonna take a moment. Let's get into his word. And let's see if we just can't figure out the next step. Let's ask. And we gotta stop and we have to pray and we have to ask him, did God say anything to you? What do you do? And I can tell you, I've been in enough counseling sessions, I've been in enough personal crisis moments to know that when we stop, when we grab and read his word, he will always illuminate what's next. I've been in counseling appointments before where their whole world's falling apart, they have no clue what to do and they're completely freaking out. And you stop, you say, okay, hold on, stop, 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 stop. Like, what's your next step? And they're like, I don't know, everything's falling apart. And you say, stop. As soon as you walk out of that door, what are you going to go do? Well, I got to go to work. You know the next step. Well, I got to, I probably need to make a phone call. That's what you're going to do. And it's amazing to me that in our crisis, even when we can't see the path in front of us, God somehow brings the right people and he illuminates what our next step is. And the moment we show up there, he illuminates one more and he illuminates one more and he illuminates one more. And next thing you know, by the end of the day, hope starts to be returned. But we have to know what our anchor is, and we have to know where to put our eyes. Because if the lights get turned out, and all of a sudden you're in a place that's scaring you to death when you see forward, you need to stop and bring your eyes closer. And sometimes we recognize it in others before you recognize it in yourself. And I see it, I see it in the people around me a whole lot easier than I do myself. When all of a sudden somebody's freaking out, what about this? And what are we going to move here? And what's going to happen here? And, and, and what do we should do this? We should change this. We should make this happen. And you're like, just stop for a second. Like, how about we just calm down and look right in front of us? But we have to learn where to gaze our eyes and what to look at. And then we have to learn what in the world is our anchor. For some reason, this is our anchor point. Now you may come in on a Sunday and you hear the word, and I've already read it a couple times today. I'm going to read it to you again. And that is enough of a light to sustain you and to keep you going. But the reality is, you actually need it daily. You need it more than you hear it. 
And what we find is the moment we start to get into his word, every season I've done this, I start to read it and digest it. All of a sudden, I feel like my gaze goes from here to here to here to here to here. And usually within a couple of weeks of just reading every day, you find that all of a sudden you're like hopeful again. I love where I live. I love what God's doing. This is all working out, man. It's like all of a sudden things get rosy. I don't know how it works. I just know it works. And so you have to find a way to actually use this light for yourself. And as much as we want to let somebody else lead us and we want to let somebody else coach us and tell us and use the light for us, we actually need to learn how to use it ourselves. There's something about this. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible that you understand, get one you understand. This is a fresh start Bible. I love this Bible. It's a great Bible. It's in the NLT, New Living Translation. I used to, I grew up on NIV and uh, I love that. I memorized a lot of stuff in that. But this one, it just makes sense when I read it. I'm like, English, thank you. You know, and maybe you have a Bible that you don't understand. You won't read it if you don't understand it. You won't. If you don't understand what you're reading, you're going to set it down. It's still good, but you're going to have to understand it. So my encouragement to you, the very first thing is you've got to have a Bible that you understand and that you know. If you don't have a good Bible, your homework this week, go buy a Bible. Go find one. Get one. Fresh Start Bible's awesome. Like, get a Bible that you know. And if you're like, man, I, I just, it's so heavy to carry this thing around. I need something digital. If you have the Holy Bible app on your phone, put, it, put an app on your phone. The Holy Bible app is amazing. It has all kinds of reading plans. It has all kinds of, I mean, they'll have someone read to you. You're like, well, who do you want it to read? And what kind of accent do you want? And like, you could pick it. You can pick anyone you want. I made my son download it on his phone. And then I track how many games he plays versus how much he reads the Bible. <laughs> Currently, he's losing. So you need to change the pace, you know? The reality is, is that we have to find ways to get it in. Because if it just sits, we'll never pick it up. If you don't understand it, you won't read it. And so you have to find ways to get it in. And a lot of people, I talk to them, they're like, man, I hate reading. Most people are like, it's so hard to read because you're reading all the time. And I don't know, I hate reading for work. And you know, like, you just struggle to read. Well, my encouragement is to listen. Find a way to listen to it. I do understand that we live in a different world. I love this. Oh, it's a fast-paced world and everything's so much harder. I understand this. When Moses did his daily devotions and his Bible in a year, he only had to read that. I understand Moses had a whole lot easier. He didn't have hot running water, but his Bible in the year reading plan was super simple. You know, now they're like, hey, take this, you know, 1,200-page book, read it for the year. And you're like, holy moly, it's a lot. It's a lot for people to consume, which means listen to it because you listen to stuff all day long. And it's really easy to listen to the Bible. You can put it on your phone, you can put it in your car, you can listen to it. And I find for me, not only do I want to read it, I actually, I started even the last couple of years like listening to it more. And I'm, it's so great. It's really, really good. One of my favorite, if you have Spotify or you can even go online, there's this guy, Atlanta Havilah. And it, he reads and he comments. And it is like, it's like going to a, a Bible class. He keeps you paced, he keeps you on, but like he does historical books and then he'll comment and he'll read a section of scripture that you're like, what in the world did that mean? And you're like, well, this was a prophecy that was fulfilled at this time during this one at this scripture, moving on. And you're like, whoa, he like blows your mind. And I, I, I love it. It's, it's educational for me. I went to Bible school for four years, but I would have much preferred just to listen to this guy. Like, it's really good, and he, he keeps you in. And so I've started reading this. I, um, if you know anything about him or what he looks like or where he lives, please don't tell me. To be honest, I don't know. I have, like, this picture in my brain of what he looks like, and I don't want any of you to ruin it. So when I get to heaven, I'll be like, what? 
what the heck? But at least I enjoyed his, you know, his reading for a long time. That's, that's awesome. I would encourage you to do that. One of the fun ones is uh, if you've ever done the uh, Streetlights. Streetlights is on the Bible U version, but it's also on Spotify. You can find it on YouTube, find it, stuff like this. They literally read books of the Bible with like slow jazz or rap music or funk music in the background. And it's like, no joke, you could work out and listen to it. Uh, at any time, you're like, man, I just need a little pick-me-up. Throw that thing on in the background. You're going to find yourself dancing and reading at the same time. Like, it's really fun. I, I would do it when I, when I run, or I, I like to put it in the car for the kids, and they're just like, Dad, can we listen to real music? No. No, we can't. We're going to listen to the Bible. And, uh, but Streetlights is really good. But there are so many ways for you to, to actually turn on your flashlight. It's doable, and you can work it into your rhythm of life, and you can turn on, if you don't know how to, if you struggle at reading, then listen to it. But the reality is, the reason I'm trying to make it easy and telling you even what I do, is you've got to use your flashlight. Because if you find yourself the next time, not if, but when it happens, the lights turn off, you're going to be looking for a light. You might want to know where it is. And you might want to have it and be prepared for it. The reality is that when the lights turn off and you are prepared with your light, you don't notice it as much. You don't freak out as much because all of a sudden you have it. I sometimes will listen to like Land to Have All or Street Lights or Bible App. I'll turn it on at night and I'll fall asleep to it just because it's like I'm logging hours while I'm sleeping. Why not? Why not keep it in your life? I want to challenge you. If you pull apart, pull one thing from, from today and you, you take it with you, I want to challenge you for two weeks every day to read or listen to something in the Bible. Guaranteed, at the end of the two weeks, you're going to be better for it. I don't know how. I can't explain it to you scientifically, but I just can tell you, guaranteed, hands down, after two weeks of being in it for every day, you're going to be like, why do I feel hopeful? It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. And even if you're like, man, I don't know where to read. Like there's a, a lot of it. I like the like open and pluck version sometimes. Sometimes you read it and you're like, what just happened? And then other times you read it and you're like, oh, you see me. You know exactly where I am and you know exactly what's happening in my life. I cannot stress to you the importance of having a good light when the lights go out. But if you don't have a good light and you don't know where it is, you're going to freak out. Don't freak out. Have a good light. Hold on to it. Work it in. Maybe you're sitting here going, man, I've never read my Bible. Be honest with you. I don't even know if I could find one. Go find one. Get on your app. I'm telling you, it will just change your life. I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you if you do it for two weeks, you're going to find that I'm not lying to you. I'm actually telling you the truth. Two scriptures I want to finish with today. John chapter one and Genesis chapter one. John chapter one is the beginning of the New Testament. This is one of Jesus's friends and disciples, John. And uh, he actually starts the book of John. It's a reenactment of the book of Genesis. That's why I want to read them both. And so it's kind of cool. If you want to, even this week, you can read part of John and go back and read Genesis. He, he mirrors them on himself. And he, he says this. It's very important we actually see this. So he's introducing Jesus into the world in John chapter one. In the beginning... The word already existed, and the word was with God. In fact, the word was God. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. There's something powerful about God's word that bring life and that bring light to everything we see and touch and know. In fact, he explains that that word became flesh and was Jesus. And Jesus' words bring light and life to every piece of our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit. In fact, in Hebrews 4.12, it says that his words, his word is alive and active. It brings life and it sustains life. Maybe you're in a season where you're sitting here going, I need life. I feel dry. I feel like I'm living in darkness. I feel like I don't know what my next step is. I feel completely lost. Well, he actually has an answer for you today. And it's Jesus. It's his words. It's God's words. It's his word that will bring life and light to you. In fact, mirroring Genesis chapter one, I want to finish with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered over the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You know, for all of us, before we met Jesus, this defines our life. It was formless, it was empty, and it was dark. There was no purpose. There was no meaning. We didn't know what to hold on to. We didn't know the path to take. We're completely lost without him completely lost without him. In verse three, then God said, you want to know how the universe was created? His words. You want to know how life is created and sustained in you? His words. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, making that the very first day. God wants to speak life and light into each and every one of us. The question is, are we ready to listen? We know the path to life. We know the path to lighting up our future so that we can know not just our next step, but we can see the path in front of us. And it all starts with his words. He brings to life, he makes, to, and he makes alive all through his word. And maybe you, you've never, maybe you wouldn't say, hey, I have a relationship with Jesus, I know Jesus. Maybe, maybe for you, it's just like, I, I don't know if I've ever experienced that life. The beauty is, is that it's available to each and every one of us today and tomorrow, as long as the sun shines. And the path to meeting him is really repenting of our own sin, of God, I let go of my own way, my own path, and I choose to walk on yours. Because what good is a flashlight if you're on the wrong path? It's worthless to you. But to be on the right path, to know and to trust that you're in the right path and to know that you're in the right place, that is hopeful. So not only does he give us a flashlight, he actually directs our path when we submit to him and say, God, I'm, I'm done trying to figure out my own route, trying to figure out my own way. I'm done trying to figure this thing out. I repent of my sin and I ask that you would come, you would forgive me of all my sin, that you would come and live inside of me and that you would put my life on the right path. And that's where it all starts. 
So God, we repent of our own way. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been walking my own path and you know in your heart, you know in your heart of hearts that you're not walking on the one he has for you. Repent. Walk away from it. Let it go. It's not going to lead to life. It's not going to lead to fruitfulness. But what leads to life is when we let it go and we say, God, I want you what you have for me. You created me. You sustained me. You built me. You built me with purpose. And so, God, we choose your path for our life. And then we ask, Lord, that through your word, that you would illuminate our next step and you would illuminate the path forward. I want to pray for every person that recognizes today, I'm not in a good place. I'm in a dark place. I feel like the lights are out. I don't know when I look up and I look at tomorrow and I look at next week and I look at my future, I look at where I live and I look at who, who my friends are. I look at the relationships I'm in. It's like everything that you look at seems like thousand foot cliffs on either side. There's no path forward and you have no clue what to do. We want to pray with you today. His presence is here. His light is here. And he wants to illuminate for you your next step and your path forward. And so God, we ask, and maybe you identify, I'm in that place. I'm not in a good place. I would encourage you to even raise your hand. We're not gonna make you come forward. We're not gonna point you out. But just as an act of surrender of like, God, would you please turn the flashlight on? Would you please illuminate my path forward? Would you please lead me forward in everything that you have for me and what you need me to do? Would you please answer me? Would you please, would you please go before me and teach me what to do? We ask for every single person who's calling out to you, that is reaching out to you, God, that you would come and that you would light their path, light their way, that you would answer them. If they're looking for a job, I pray that they would find a job this week. If they're praying for a spouse, God, would you bring them a spouse this week? If they're praying for breakthrough financially and favor and breakthrough and restoration of relationships, God, would you start to answer them this week as they grab your word Anywhere they read, they start to just jump into this flashlight. God, would you illuminate the path forward? Would you answer prayers that we've been praying? Would you, would you show us our next step? Would you bring breakthrough to each and every one of us? For, for those who are, who are praying and asking the Lord for, for health and for wholeness, maybe you have sickness in your body or maybe there's something broken, I pray that you would be restored right now, that there would be healing in the room, that you would come and fix and restore and renew and do what only you can do as the creator and the sustainer of life. God, we submit our will to your will. We submit our ways to your ways, and we ask, God, would you illuminate the path forward, and would you answer our prayers? God, would we be firm in the anchor that you have as your word, and may we be able to fix our eyes on what you are illuminating. Help us. Lead us and teach us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.